I am Dean Haskoller, the Assistant Dean of Students for ASU Downtown. Today, my guest is Dr. Sarah Brownell. Dr. Brownell is an educator and neuroscientist and a change maker in the world. She's a professor in the School of Life Sciences at Arizona State University. Her research focuses on how to create more inclusive undergraduate science learning environments. She completed her bachelor's degree in biology at Cornell University, her master's degree in biology at the Scripps Research Institute, and her master of arts degree in education, and her PhD in biology, both from Stanford University. As a neuroscientist turned discipline-based education researcher, Dr. Brownell has published over 100 papers, received multiple national research awards and university-wide teaching awards, and is the proud recipient of the National LGBTQ Plus Educator of the Year Award. Pretty impressive. Hi. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for coming. I would like to start um, this conversation by telling our audience a little bit who you are. So who is Dr. Sarah Brownell? Great. Um, so I'm uh, a professor, so that's part of my identity. I spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about teaching and improving teaching. And that's how I actually got excited about doing education research on teaching, wanting to take more of an evidence-based approach to teaching. Um, I identify as a woman. I identify as a member of the LGBTQ community, specifically I identify as gay. Um, I uh, am a proud uh, parent to a Shih Tzu. Uh, I really like small, fluffy dogs. So uh, they uh, they make me really excited. Um, yeah, so that's kind of me in a nutshell. That's awesome. So when you think about all of these identities, how has your identity influenced your perspectives on diversity, equity, and inclusion? Oh, it's absolutely influenced it. Um, so in a lot of ways, uh, I hold privileged identities. So uh, I'm white. I uh, have parents who went to college. Um, and for uh, much of my life, I actually thought that, you know, if you just work hard, um, you can achieve anything in life um, because that's kind of how I had seen things happen uh, around me. And it wasn't really until I started experiencing uh, some of the stigma associated with um, being gay that helped me actually realize um, the experiences of marginalized groups, right? So I felt firsthand what it felt like to be othered. I felt firsthand what it felt like to not feel included in a conversation, not feel included in a community. Um, and that has really uh, helped form how I think about um, education and inclusion in education. So um, my own personal experiences as a member of the LGBTQ community has really influenced that. Um, and, and it's really made me want to think about how we can make undergraduate science uh, education more inclusive for everyone, regardless of their identity, um, and thinking through some of the uh, challenges for that and some of the possible opportunities. So I just attended a talk given by you, and I was reading one of the papers that you published, and there you mentioned that academic science is actually not welcoming. It's not a welcoming space for members of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer, and, the, and that LGBTQ plus undergraduate students are less likely to graduate with, graduate with science, technology, engineering, and math degrees when we compare the numbers with their cisgender peers. 
Yeah. So, um, some really important, uh, research, um, by Bryce Hughes, um, it basically looked at, uh, both transgender students as well as, uh, LGBTQ students and saw that over time controlling for many factors, they, uh, they, they were less retained, uh, in college. And that was the first, I think, concrete example we have of, we thought that their experiences were not as great. We've done interview studies. Um, people have highlighted aspects of their experience that probably would affect their belonging and their retention. But that was kind of the first piece of evidence to actually show that that it matters in terms of who gets to graduate and who sticks around to graduation, right? And so I think that that has become really motivating for a lot of us, myself included, in terms of really trying to find ways to make these academic spaces more inclusive for LGBTQ students. And in your talk that I just attended, you also mentioned that instructors are not likely to reveal their LGBTQ plus identities. And if they do, it could actually have an impact on the students, but it's just like less likely. And I was wondering if you can shed light on that. Yeah, for sure. And this is where um, science and engineering classrooms are seem to be very different than humanities classrooms, like English classrooms, right? Um, social sciences classrooms. Um, so historically, science and engineering uh, are often perceived of as objective, and people uh, assume that people should just keep their identities out outside of the classroom. And so uh, typically a lot of people don't actually bring their identities into the classroom, whereas uh, hum humanities uh, professors and social sciences uh, professors are more likely to share more about their identity and how their identity influences the research that they do, influences their teaching, um, et cetera. And so I think because of that, that's probably why we see this pattern. So we see that, that uh, it's more likely for humanities professors and social sciences professors to reveal their LGBTQ identity in the classroom. But for science and engineering um, instructors, they're, they, they seem to be less likely to, to do so. Now, um, when we've tried to actually dig into why, um, what we've found uh, that's pretty intriguing is um, we tried to look at it from kind of a cost-benefit uh, 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 perspective. And we wanted to really ask the question, okay, is it a cost associated with revealing their identity that's preventing them for, from coming out? Or are they just not aware of the potential benefits? And it really seems like for a lot of the instructors who are not revealing uh, their LGBTQ identity to students, particularly at public institutions, um, it's because they don't see possible benefits associated with that. It's not that they necessarily see a cost. It's that they don't necessarily see that benefit either to themselves or to other students. So a huge uh, uh, new thread of research in my, my research group is trying to identify what the benefits are to students of an LGBTQ instructor in a science classroom revealing that identity. Can you elaborate on some of those potential benefits? Yeah, absolutely. So we did a study where we had an instructor reveal their identity um, in the context of a large enrollment science classroom, so like 300 some students, and they did it on the very first day of class with just a, a single PowerPoint slide that basically was like, I like to hike, um, I like uh, this food, I like this particular music group, and uh, I'm a proud member of the LGBTQ community. And that's it. They didn't mention it again for the rest of the semester. So it's a super short intervention. And that was important because a lot of instructors are worried about taking away class time for content to actually reveal this identity. So we wanted to make it short. And then we basically surveyed students and asked them how that 
that affected them. First off, a ton of the students remembered that experience happening. Over 90% of the students remembered the instructor revealing their identity, which was really encouraging because, um, you know, so many times instructors say things and, you know, it goes right over students' heads or they're not, you know, they're, they're not thinking about it, right? How many times do we say, look back at the syllabus, right? For something that we've said. Um, and so that was encouraging. And then when we looked at, at whether it was going to have a positive impact, it seemed like it had a disproportionate positive of impact on LGBTQ students, which is what we were hoping for and we were kind of expecting. But then it also seemed to have an effect largely positive on most of the students in the class. And it seemed to be related to the idea that students felt like that instructor sharing their LGBTQ identity made them more approachable, made them more like a real person, made them more uh, like they're building connections with the students, regardless of whether that student had an LGBTQ identity. Personally speaking, do you like to share your um, identities, you know, with your students? And if so, have you observed a positive impact on them? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so when I first started teaching, um, I, I didn't come out to students in my large enrollment classes. Uh, I was out to my colleagues. Um, students in my research group knew that I was a member of the LGBTQ community. But, um, but I just... I felt weird about uh, uh, sharing that with students in, in the large class. And then we did a study where we actually interviewed a bunch of students and they said, I've never had a science faculty reveal, reveal their LGBTQ identity. And that would be so amazing. I was like, all right, I like I can't do this research, see what this could impact students and then not do it. So I've started coming out. So so I come out at the beginning of every semester um, and we've seen really positive impacts on students. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. But what if someone is not a member of the LGBTQ LGBTQ plus community, but they want to be an ally? How can they how can they show their support? Yeah, that's a really great question. So um, so part of the, the challenge of LGBTQ identities is uh, for a lot of folks, it, it can be an invisible or what we might call a concealable identity. And so just by looking at someone, you might you might think that someone might be a member of the community, but you don't know for sure. And because of the stigma associated with it, you know, you likely are not going to necessarily say something. So because of that, it really requires people to actually say something, right? It's not as simple as just showing a picture and then hoping that someone will will see that they're a member of the LGBTQ community. So, you know, one example that, that folks could do if they want to be allies is have in their syllabus specific uh, information about how you want to make the class inclusive for LGBTQ students. So you could say, you know, I want to make my class inclusive to all students including and then actually lay out the the students and have LGBTQ um, actually signaled there. You can attend. There are um, many universities have safe zone trainings um, where you can basically learn more about the LGBTQ identity and making spaces more inclusive for them. And often you get a little plaque that you can put up in front of your door indicating you're an ally. So that could be really great. Um, the other things you can do are, you know, you can just verbally say at the beginning of class how important it is to um, have people with different identities feel welcome in that class. And, you know, you could have a bunch of different identities up on your first PowerPoint and LGBTQ can, can be one of them, right? So I think signaling that you're inclusive and signaling that you're an ally can be really helpful for, for students. Um, other things that, that you can do is you can think about representing 
teaching LGBTQ individuals in your class, even if you are not a member of the LGBTQ community. So you can potentially have students read a paper by a scientist and say, oh, yeah, by the way, they're a member of the LGBTQ community. Right. What about sharing pronouns? We see that, you know, a lot of people like to share pronouns in their emails and Zoom meetings and other spaces. Why is this important? And what if, you know, you mess up someone's pronouns? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um... I think really encouragingly, we're seeing more and more folks are just sharing pronouns as part of uh, introductions, as part of just email communication, right, on their signatures. So I think that that's a really a step in the right direction. Um, there, you know, for a long time, I think people, um, you know, erroneously thought that there were just two genders, right, uh, men and women. And the reality is, is there are folks who identify as non-binary. Um, there are even folks who identify as gender fluid. So they may be kind of somewhere in the middle, or they may some days identify more um, as a man and other days more as a woman. And so giving that option of being able to have people share their pronouns so they're able to use the correct pronouns, that can be really important. Also, particularly for transgender students, um, uh, especially if they're in early phases of transitioning, it's really important that they're getting those those pronouns used correctly. So um, I encourage uh, the use of pronouns. Um, one small thing that I didn't realize when I was first starting to think about this is uh, I originally would use terms like your preferred pronoun, and it's not a preferred pronoun. It is your actual pronoun, right? And so just getting rid of that term preferred can, can actually be way uh, inclusive, and you can say it fast. So that's also good. Um, giving people an opportunity to do that in different ways could be really helpful. So something that I have all of my students do is they create a name tent that they use in class where they put their name. And then at the bottom, I encourage them to write their pronoun, but I don't force them to write their pronoun. And the reason I don't force them is some students may be in the process of figuring out what their pronouns are. Some students may not feel like it's safe to actually start using pronouns. I mean, some uh, students may want to start using they, them as a single pronoun, but um, that's going to be a change and maybe they're uncomfortable actually writing that out. So um, I, I encourage folks to do it. I set it up and kind of normalize it for myself, but then I, I let it be up to them in terms of what they're comfortable with. And I think that that's really important in terms of being an ally and being supportive of this community is understanding that it's certainly you know, one experience doesn't speak for everyone's experience. Everyone has a different timeline. Everyone has a different level of comfort. Everyone has a different level of internalized homophobia. Everyone has a different level of family acceptance, right? And so it's, it can be a really complicated identity to kind of grapple with. And so giving people time to figure out exactly what their identity is, what they're comfortable sharing, that very much needs to be up to them. And we should never be outing people. We should never be kind of feeling like we're forcing them to use particular pronouns or to come out as a particular identity. For our students on the ASU campus, what are some of your recommendations that they can do in order to incorporate more intentionally diversity, equity, and inclusion work like into their day-to-day -day lives? That's a great question. And it's been something that I've been thinking a lot about recently. So I'm a director of a relatively new research center here, the Research for Inclusive STEM Education Center. And we've been really um, mostly just doing research, trying to identify inequities in students' experiences, trying to measure the effectiveness of certain interventions. But I, um, but recently we're starting an initiative where we're actually going to bring on students as ambassadors um, to help them kind of really 
realize, or to help them help us, or to, to have them, sorry, help us uh, figure out kind of what are inequities that we're not aware of, right? Or are there ways that we can position certain students in classrooms to be kind of equity monitors or equity ambassadors that can, you know, kind of spread out among other students? And so that's something that I'm increasingly interested in the possibility of doing. Um, in some of the classes that I've taught, uh, when I do group work, I basically set up roles for different students to help them. You know, one person uh, is a leader, one person is the note taker, one person actually might be the equity monitor to double check that every student has had an opportunity to share. And we actually did a study where we interviewed students kind of like a semester later, and they said some of them were like, it was so fun doing the equity monitor in your class that I actually started doing it in my other classes as a way to try to make sure that everyone had an opportunity to participate. So if we could kind of uh, get students thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, about how important it is, and how they can actually be active participants, then that could actually bolster against potentially some faculty who are not thinking about this when they're designing their courses. Very interesting. Um, any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that, uh, I think that, that, Things have changed in positive ways for the LGBTQ community. So we've been doing this research for uh, about eight years now. And, um, you know, certainly a lot has changed legally in that time in terms of marriage equality, in terms of kind of just national acceptance and, and or tolerance about LGBTQ individuals. But I will still say there's still residual uh, fear associated with coming out, both from the student side and the instructor side. And that associates with the stigma. Um, but what we have mostly found is that doesn't seem to actually be realized. So some of the fears of costs or some of the fears of consequences don't seem to be actually happening. So that said, I would encourage folks to, you know, obviously I'm not encouraging anyone to come out if they're not, you know, if they're they're not comfortable. But given that, hopefully people are willing to, to take some risks to hopefully make situations better to kind of normalize this identity and to increase representation of this identity. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being in this space with me and sharing your thoughts and reflections and talking to our you know, audience about your research and uh, what we can do in order to create these inclusive spaces. Great. Thank you for having me. That concludes our interview with Dr. Sarah Brownell. Thank you for tuning in. See you next time.